Welcome to the Talent Intelligence Collective podcast. In this, our first ever episode, we, being me, Toby and Alison, were joined by the fabulous Annie Che of Amazon. Let us know what you think and please, please spread the word. We need your love, support and generosity to help us grow the podcast. Have fun! Before we get on with the main event, I just wanted to remind you that this podcast is proudly sponsored by our friends at Stratagens. And here's a very well-spoken chat to tell you a little bit more about them. Strategens gives HR leaders the data they need to transform businesses with the speed and ease required in today's world. If you're ready to make decisions that aren't lengthy, costly, one-dimensional, or based on gut feeling, visit strategens.com. That's S-T-R-A-T-I-G-E-N-S dot com to register for a Wednesday demo drop-in and find out more. So welcome to the first episode of the Talent Intelligence Collective podcast. Woo, 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 woo. That's me whooping. I did have some pre-recorded sounds that I was going to use for this. I might just test them out on you quickly now, guys. What do you think of this? This is a loud, this is a small crowd. (laughs) Or just one person. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) No, I I want a small crowd. Oh, do you? Okay. Oh, I like the I like the one person as well. I'm a fan of that. So like I'm, I'm mum cheering for us. <laughs> oh, my daughter! I did invite her along. <laughs> so I'm delighted to have with me today my uh, my future regular co-hosts, uh, Toby Coulshaw from Phillips and Alison Etridge from Talent Intuition. How are we both? Great, Very good, thank, thank you. you. Good, good, good. So perhaps as this is our first pod. You can introduce yourselves properly. So, Toby, who are you? What do you do? So, as you say, I work over at Philips, uh, the big health tech company. Um, I lead talent intelligence and executive recruitment research for us over there. So, I've got a team all over the place that run talent intelligence for Philips. Excellent. And I know I should, probably should have done ladies first, but uh, I didn't. So, sorry, Alison. Same to you. Who are you and what do you do? That's all right. I've never been a lady, Alan, so that's fine. Um, <laughs> my, my, uh, I'm chief believer at a business called Talent Intuition, um, and chief believer is another word for CEO. Um, but we are a talent intelligence platform um, that brings together workforce and workplace. And I'm believer because I believe now is the time for organisations to use data and insight around people. Now is the time to use talent intelligence to inform strategy and not just hiring. Uh, and now is the time to combine workforce and workplace. Excellent, excellent. And we do also have a special guest on the podcast. We'll come on to her in a moment. And, and a quick mm-hmm. FYI, Nick Brooks from Microsoft will be joining us as a regular co-host for future episodes as well. He hasn't bottled this first ever one, I hasten to ha- add. Instead, he and his wife are currently in the thick of dealing with newborn twins. He's holding so, which Oh, absolutely. He's got plenty of bottle. I can't imagine the challenge he's going through right now. But anyway, onwards. Uh, as this is the first episode, we'll, we'll be experimenting with a few things. I think that's fair to say. Uh, this could be a little bit rough and ready. So, so do be kind if you're listening. We haven't had much practice. We're going straight into this and trying stuff out. Um, so to anyone listening, do let us know what works, what doesn't, um, either via the email address for the show or on the Talent Intelligence Collective Facebook group. Um, for those that are wondering what the hell is Alan Walker doing here, i.e. me, it's a, it's a fair question. Um, I'm going to play the role of ill-informed host uh, here to learn and to keep the show moving along. I am definitely not a talent intelligence expert, and I'm not going to pretend to be. 
Uh, my co-hosts and our, our guests absolutely are, though. They're not pretending that is, but experts in the CI stuff. Uh, but if I'm a terrible host, just blame Toby for that. He made me do it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so here's how the next 40 minutes ago so are going to pan out. Um, phase one will be my intro, which thankfully we're almost done with. Um, phase two, Toby and Alison are going to talk us through some of the interesting happenings in the world of, of TI, news, views, movers and shakers, that type of thing. We'll see how that goes. And uh, phase three, probably the most important part of the show is we're going to hit our guest, Annie from Amazon, with a barrage of questions. Some insightful from Toby and Alison, some a little dumb from yours truly, uh, but all, of course, expertly handled by Annie. So uh, let's have some fun. Woo! So, Annie, I think that's enough about us. Let's welcome you onto our show as our first ever guest of the Talent Intelligence Collective podcast. How are you? Who are you? And what do you do? Well, what an honor uh, to be the first. (laughs) So thank you. Um, I am Annie Che, and I oversee, I lead a talent intelligence um, program at Amazon specific to the Alexa and devices division. As you know, we're a pretty big company. So we have- I've heard of you. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard of Amazon. Multiple team, TI teams. Um, So I have one part of that. I've been at Amazon almost three years as a full-time employee. Prior to that, I consulted uh, in 2014 to one of the divisions, uh, focusing and introducing um, concepts such as battle cards, the discipline and methodology of competitive intelligence in the TA function, as well as HR. Um, And as far as my overall background, I've been in this field over a dozen years. Uh, Most of it has been either uh, within consulting firms, so recruiting departments in consulting Mm. firms, uh, and that provided quite a bit of a, a broad perspective of applying strategy or strategic thinking um, and to the actual actual execution because there's that uh, funny adage about consultancies that you pay a consultant $500 and they'll tell you what time it is. So I <laughs> keep to that and I'm very uh, persistent about uh, ensuring that TICI is actionable to mm-hmm. to the customers, to the users. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of insight into me. Fantastic. And a great starting point. Um, as I said earlier, we've, we've got a whole heap of questions that we want to we want to fire at you. But we're going to move into the, the kind of open discussion part of the show now. And um, as I said before, this is something we, we haven't tried. We're going to give it a go. We'll see how it lands. And we'd really appreciate the feedback from anybody listening as to whether it and it hits the mark for them. So, so Toby, what, what's happening in the world of talent intelligence? Anything cool? Anything insightful? Interesting? Anything that I'll even remotely understand? Uh, <laughs> uh, first two, possibly. Second, last point, not too sure. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there's been a few things in the group that have been quite interesting in the last month. Uh, one of the bits I quite like was uh, around capturing feedback on intelligence that people provide. And uh, one bit in particular was looking at the FBI's feedback capture methods and uh, how they, they score both quality and value of the intel they provide, uh, oh. which caused quite a bit of debate in the group. And I think it's something that we we often struggle with as intel providers is how do we actually know what we're providing as a value to 
the stakeholders. So yeah, I thought the, the capture of feedback was quite an interesting topic point in the group this month. That's And that's really cool because that ties into the conversation that Annie was just talking about, which is how do you make something actionable? Because actually in the in the FBI quality value, there wasn't really anything about what was the action that was created as a result of this and what was the overall impact? Yep, agree. Oh, that'd be really cool. We should share a, a, um, a screenshot of, of um, the quality and value metrics as well. If I could add, I, I think it's important that we we change the dialogue around the, the metrics and measurements of CITI, uh, because mm -hmm. in the TA space and depending on where you know, the, the TI team or program sits is usually relegated to uh, fall in line to those, you know, other ways of measuring outputs. So, for example, if you're in a TA uh, sort of a TA um, organization, research TI is usually aligned to um, hires, right? How many hires did that research or the name gen or battle cards amount to. And that's super hard to try and track. Uh, it's very manual and, you know, uh, do sourcing recruiters and recruiters and closers, do they actually take the time? Do they have the time to do that kind of manual tracking? The answer is a big NO. Mm -hmm. And they, they're they not motivated to either. So I love how capturing feedback in a different way is much more meaningful and valuable to, especially to the folks that are funding your program. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to, Annie, just, just for me and my learning as we, as we go through this series, um, I'm, I know we're saving a whole heap of questions for you towards the end of the show. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by a battle card? So battle card, you know, uh, I don't know if there's a, Folks would uh, a lot of folks would argue with me, but the TA function uh, is specifically very closely aligned to the sales function. Mm -hmm. so sales, account execs, account managers, whether you're inbound, outbound, you're trained to learn about the competitors' products or services in simple one-pager teardowns. Yeah, um, we did this initially when I was at Microsoft, right? We got to know the competitors of Office 365 and cloud, et cetera, very well. Um, so battle cards in our space is similar to how do we understand proactively what our competitors' employment value proposition is? So it's anything from understanding the compensation model to the benefits and perks to... Yeah. Um, structure to where the, where are the product teams? Uh, you know, we're heavily focused on SDEs or software engineers at Amazon. So we look to always try to understand uh, where are the populations of software engineers and looking to understand those competitors and what really motivates the, the competitor employees helps us to proactively mitigate if we're coming, at, we're, if we're in the scenario of trying to close on an offer. We want mm. to increase the offer wins or offer accepts and decrease on the HR side when uh, we're challenged by retention, where someone could flight, you know, the fight or flight, but it's perhaps an Amazonian who's looking to leave to go to Facebook or Google. Um, what are we doing or what do we know about the competitor to keep us, to keep us proactively um, ensuring that we're, we're not losing this person unnecessarily, especially if they're top talent. Okay, that makes sense. So they're almost so battle cards are almost a competitor intelligence subset of talent intelligence. 
Correct. Yeah. I'm learning. Beautifully summarized. <laughs> so, Excellent. So what are you hearing, Alison? So other cool stuff, I think, um, on The Collective was uh, completed by Marco Polo, uh, and they analysed um, the top AI conference for deep learning, and they took a whole bunch of data uh, to try and track where AI talent was, um, and they tried to, to add a quality metrics on it as well by tracking people who had been accepted through through a, a, a certain program and proxy of of research papers. And for me, there was something that was really neat that came out of it, which was actually the bulk of the talent is in the US, but the US is lead on attracting international talent. Um, with most of the um, top tier researchers, and we're talking, I think, two thirds, um, had done their undergraduate degrees in other countries. So oh. that for me was really cool. It's looking at what I call the flow of talent. Um, and that's the flow both from educational institutions, but also geographically, because I think that's, and again, that kind of loops into the battle card that Annie was talking about is actually what's the flow of talent and how does it change across a number of skill sets? Well, that was really cool. So that's so. So the U.S. has most of the talent, but it doesn't produce it. Correct. Ah, very interesting. Yes. Yeah, so why that is? Is that a need thing? They have to have most of the talent because a lot of the innovative technology comes out of the U.S., but there just isn't the room to produce enough of it, or the wrong kind of education system. What do we think? God, blimey! Is it a combination? <laughs> of, <laughs> a combination of a whole bunch of stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. You know, and I, I, I think there's something in here about. This is the first concerted effort to look at flow of talent, which is something we're, we're looking at in, in, you know, in quite a serious manner. But actually to be able to say, you know, does the education system match? So when you're looking at education to education to country and, and if you are going to pour money into your education system and it's in data science or it's in AI, why would you do that if you then don't manage to retain that talent, mm. if that talent then goes somewhere else? So I think there's a whole kind of big question mark over talent flow and where people go globally industry education the whole lot i don't know toby what do you think yeah no i'd be, I'd be tempted to agree i think the the, the u.s clearly has the... sorry uh, toby it, i said it, that's odd which is uh, it threw me <laughs> so it's no way. So rather we're in agreement. <laughs> we'll, we'll, build, we'll build up slowly Toby's nerves so he's not so thrown by things. <laughs> I, th I thought, you must be talking to, to Alan or Annie. You can't be agreeing with me. <laughs> no, we don't uh, agree. <laughs> but I, I, I completely agree. I think the, the US has got a, an interesting situation where the, they can't produce enough, particularly on the R&D mm. side, the PhD researchers, that sort of side of things. Um, they, they just can't produce enough uh, to to meet the demand so they've obviously been bringing in a lot of talent particularly on the h1b visas etc so i think they're in a, a fascinating point of time where the the demand is still there you know you're getting more tech growth there than, than ever before probably um but obviously the, the the administration is reviewing what they do in terms of the, mm. the talent coming in so i think we're in a, an interesting time in terms of the the us in particular and the, the, the talent for that r d side of things but annie i'd love to hear your thoughts on that yeah, we tend to look at the trends uh, from the talent flows, uh, not just from, you know, where does talent come from and where do they go to, but over time, where are the trends, where are the growth? Uh, if certain companies in a particular location uh, continue to advertise at a 20% clip for, you know, research scientists, that typically means that there's something going on at that company in that location that we should be paying attention to. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Is it perhaps that they're innovating something that's not on the market? Um, are they uh, enhancing features to a particular device or, you know, capability that once again, you know, if we're, if we take our eye off the ball and not monitor on a consistent basis, the talent flowing into that location by that company, then we're not really as effective uh, to be predictive as a team or as a program or capability. Our mission, uh, at least within my program and my team, is to help our customers and our user base to peer around the corner before they get to the corner. So predictive insights pulled from this awesome global AI talent tracker is more valuable to us if we can see the trending over time. Yeah. And that's just music to, to our ears, right? It's it's kind of that finger on the pulse, what's changing, what's likely to happen. Um, you know, help me see into the future. Give me a kind of a, as, as best a crystal ball as you can so that we can genuinely imply this intelligence for competitive advantage and not in inverted commas just for hiring. Um, I think, yeah, just, and Toby, you talk about that a lot in, you know, what's changing, who's doing what, what's different, who's taking up real estate, a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, yeah, I think I think understanding kind of what's around the corner is that really important piece, uh, particularly when you get, as you say, beyond the TA world, uh, and you're, you're talking to the business that they're wanting to understand how to use labour market intelligence for competitive advantage. Um, mm-hmm. And I think there was actually a, a product that we were looking at on the, the group this week, uh, which was Chartloop.com, which is the, an AI automated org chart building platform, mm-hmm. uh, which I think the sort of tool that's coming through that that could help alleviate some of the legwork to give us more time to do some of that more strategic stuff. I don't, I, I don't know whether the, the the platforms are necessarily there yet. And, and uh, I, I know Alison and I chat in the past around the sort of taxonomy behind that and the challenges behind that. So I'd love to hear your, your views on that a bit more. But I think those sorts of tools coming out are, are quite an interesting interesting play at the moment. Yeah, I think there's, there's two points to it, isn't it? And so anything that can help to visualize data, um, is is going to be useful for particularly your user groups that you're going in, but but I think that anything that kind of scrapes um, uh, and then tries to build an org chart out of it needs to really understand what the company taxonomy is that sits behind it. So if you work, uh, and Annie talked about this, if you, you know Amazon's a huge organisation, and if you work for one division, you may be called something different to if you work in another division. Um, and mm-hmm. those scraping tools have got to kind of figure out a way of getting around that or yeah and we're working really hard to try and build out actually a, a global company taxonomy because i think that becomes really interesting yeah hsbc have got something like 253 different registered company names underneath them yeah if you're mm-hmm. trying to build up a big picture it's actually quite hard to do unless you do the grunt work first are you uh, are do any of you are you familiar with what linkedin is doing mm-hmm. this functionality so when you Connect. Where you add in who your manager is and who yeah. your team are and your reports and all that stuff. Yeah, Correct. Yeah, so I asked them point blank, is this something that you're building as a future product? And, uh, of course, <laughs> the really correct answer was, uh, you know, it always could be a possibility. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, clearly, you know, the questions are very pointed. You know, as soon as you accept that connect, um, then the question is asked you, is this a peer of yours? Is this your manager? Does this person report directly to you? So, you know, there's value behind that, but it also is something that uh, to be mindful of, of the kind of intelligence that, ours, that is automatically 
being built within the LinkedIn platform. Oh, absolutely. And, and that data will be, depending on how many people actually give it to LinkedIn, at least it will be pretty damn accurate where you can assume something that's scraping elsewhere. How, I can't even get my head around how it can un- accurately match up who reports to who through mm-hmm. scraping because some organizations as, as as you said Alison are so complicated yeah. you can't even be led by things like job titles and function and department and even location yeah. nowadays to get that stuff right yeah and it's only going to get harder right as we, as we move to a place where we've got more disparate workforces and companies are kind of moving their locations and and becoming more remote in, in their approach to their workforces it's only going to get harder because they're not going to be nailed to a specific location and and the, then you've got the whole kind of challenge of the gig economy coming in and people who kind of work for multiple businesses yeah it's just it's really tough to do yeah it's a really tough nut to crack and i think there's there's a whole bunch of actually competitor intelligence that is way more valuable at a strategic level than let me understand the organization chart of a competitor. So, so do we think there's a, a future need for org charts? I see a bigger pull from it from a, an executive search research perspective, but from the broader TI piece, do we think there's a, a future need for org charts and that kind of tooling, or is it actually more functional charts and um, the actual operating flow of an organization that's the competitive advantage rather than the actual roles and responsibilities and, and who reports into who. I I absolutely think that it is it's a necessity on several levels, right? It could be for an individual recruiter sourcer who just needs to understand the landscape. Uh, we can't and should not rely on job titles, as we all know. Um, <laughs> you know, a software engineer at Amazon is not necessarily the same thing as a staff engineer at another tech company. Um, and, you know, there's also the, the the comp codes or the pay codes that we more heavily rely on. So creating, having org charts that are readily available and crowdsourced in a way where there's some verification is only that much. It helps equip the individual recruiter sourcer, recruiting manager leaders as well. Um, you know, we often like to understanding sort of pick the brain of the hiring manager based off of where that HM came from and understand what is the hierarchy there, help us understand and get smart about this. Should we be pursuing proactively? And this is where some, a lot of the executive recruiting influence that I've been in long time ago really comes to play, you know, to really build out a person's ecosystem. And then you start to really go into depth as far as help me understand why this person would be top talent or a rock star versus no one, someone else that you consider to be, you know, an AOK player. Um, So that's just one purpose of, of Orchards. I think um, something that I experienced at another tech company was when I did gap analysis over a 12 year 12 month period of time i had two 6 month consecutive org charts of 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 a team and i overlaid them did quick analysis and all i wanted to see is how many alum, how many of the company's alumni were at this other company mm-hmm. and it was mind boggling um, so then you produce this or present it to leadership to business leaders to hiring managers etc they have a lot to say <laughs> about your insights and the contribution where they lean in, right? And they start, you really start to have strategic discussions about, you know, um, the, the monetization of that we lost from that, that regrettable 
you know, Amazonian, for instance, who went to Google, Facebook, Microsoft, that becomes super painful. And that's where the dialogue changes for TI is we're, we're trying to realign more to the business strategy side of this and not just simply going through, you know, pipeline reports and offer declines and offer accepts and start dates. Uh, we're really meant to be at this pointy end of the spear uh, and, you know, kind of setting the pace of here's what we need to know. These are the org charts or the org structures. And you kind of become a unified team, right? Where it's it's eliminating the we versus they of, you know, they being the hiring managers and we being TA. Do you know what, so. you, Annie, you just talked about people leaning in. You are making me lean in. <laughs> Everything <laughs> you're saying, like, oh, my God, that is so cool. <laughs> I'm there. I'm sold. I think on that then, I think it's we've got loads of stuff we want to hear about from you, Annie. Sure. So I think it's probably time for us to start firing some of those many questions we mentioned earlier at you. And um, I'm, I'm going to be selfish and go first, um, partly because it's a question I know I'll understand the answer to, or at least I think I will. Um, what made you leap from the world of exec search into consultancy? Well, I... I, I put a disclaimer out there. I hope I do not offend any executive recruiting colleagues, uh, either <laughs> at Amazon or outside of Amazon. Um, I had I, I was very privileged in my career. I, I had some of the most amazing mentors throughout my career uh, to help develop me uh, and help grow me, uh, whether it was tough love or, or not. And it was an executive search firm called A.T. Carney way back in the day uh, that I was simply just a researcher back then. Uh, and when I was called in to help with a couple of very key um, Fortune 500 exec searches, um, that's when I thought, wow, this is super cool. And I'm really talking to these, you know, these very senior level uh, prospects. And uh, my my curiosity is conversational with them to try and understand. I didn't know back then what I know now is I was eliciting information more so to understand how I'm going, how am I going to help close this candidate uh, for mm. the search? So that's, you know, my love for research extends way into grade school uh, where I was always um, <laughs> kind of slapped on the hand by my English teachers to say, Oh my gosh, this is too much information. You got to put it in the, in an appendix or, you know, in the footnotes, Annie, just, you know, net communicate and give us the gist, the, the, the summary. So all that said, executive recruiting, in my experience at AT Kearney specifically, was just learning, you know, a different level of, of recruitment and, and approaches. So a lot of what I do today originated in exec. Uh, I just like uh, the downside for me about exec recruiting is it's a bit too slow for me. Uh, and again, because uh, executives don't grow on trees, nor are they placed as quickly, I think. Um, and uh, I really, you know, prefer sort of chaotic, kind of messy um, environments or, or challenges, if you will, where uh, sometimes it could just be a volume play. And yet, how do we be strategic with high volume? Mm. That is super, super interesting to me to help solve. So further kind of that's I was going to say the hustle I don't know if that's right but the 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 challenge of those that high volume hiring at scale when you're adding multiple zeros to the hiring requirements rather than just 
one very senior person that's going to be challenging mm-hmm. in their own right. It's actually the scale of the global challenge that you're facing that you really enjoy. Mm-hmm. But also, and when you this... sorry, go, go ahead. Sorry, Alison. There's there's this kind of um, gap, isn't there? When you're in exec search, you see this gap between the strategy and the questions that you're being asked to do versus the the requisition you're being asked to fill. You know, mm-hmm. And if you've got an inquisitive mind, you can automatically kind of see this gap between strategy and execution that isn't, isn't necessarily addressed through an executive search process. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the fact that you, know, you talk back at, uh, at this being ingrained in you at school and, and you say, well, hold on a minute, I just want to know more and I want to find out more and you know, let's get under the skin of it. It's, uh, yeah, that for me is, is a really neat way of talking about some of the differences between exec search, which is fantastic in its own right, but then using that data in a different way. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Toby, what questions have you got for Annie? Well, I was just thinking, Annie, you mentioned uh, kind of obviously bringing the, the, the research methodology across from exec search, but then it was the scale and complexity of the more volume side of things that, that, that caught your interest. And I know in the past when we've spoken, uh, you said you've kind of drawn interest from the, the way that the, the NSA or the securities agencies look at intel and data at, at such a mm-hmm. vast scale as well. Um, we'd love to hear your, your thoughts on kind of their side of things and what you think they could bring to the table and what we could learn from them. You know, not, and not to diminish um, my my journey at Amazon because it's been absolutely fantastic, full of challenge. Every day is different. Uh, I still say what rivals uh, what, what I'm experiencing at Amazon is uh, I had these super cool, kind of scary hiring managers um, when I worked at a firm called Booz Allen Hamilton here in the D.C. area. And I was aligned to hiring managers that uh, uh, were supporting the NSA. And I was just taking my executive recruiting approach, my methodology. That's kind of the one thing I I failed to mention just a bit ago is it's the discipline that I really strive for. I think if you keep to a discipline, it's sort of like training for a marathon, right? If you keep training, you're going to get better better at it. You keep running in races, you're going to keep getting better, right? And striving for that that goal of winning a marathon. Um, something I would definitely wouldn't know because I'm not a runner. Uh, but in the respect of uh, understanding your customer, uh, I always say, always understand your competitor at the same time. When I was preparing to meet with these uh, this group of hiring managers, uh, you know, these intelligence agencies for the United States they're hardwired to not disclose anything. They're, they're trained deeply on counterintelligence. And all I was doing was preparing to, for my, conversa- my intake conversations with these hiring managers and, and the top talent of that team, just to make sure I'm clearly understanding the profile, the business, or you know the, the scope of work. Uh, because again, I was a salesperson, so I needed to make sure I fully grasped what they did because their job descriptions were scant. They had to be. We couldn't even publish the security clearance, the U.S. security clearance, nor, you know, in that in that approach, um, are these folks that have high-level security clearances, are they online? Are they supposed to be online? They're not even supposed to be on LinkedIn. So that, that experience... T- Com- completely 
I had to unpack and deprogram the way I recruited, the way I sourced, the way I researched. And so these hiring managers taught me, and when I had that first intake discussion, uh, they called it social engineering. Oh my gosh, Annie, you're social engineering me. And I'm like, what? (laughs) What are you talking about? And they're like, well, how do you know so much about my background or, you know, everything from school to who I graduated with, you know, where I landed. And I kind of was trying to be facetious in a way where I was like, you do realize that I am a part of HR. And so I have access to HR systems. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm going to look at your background. Uh, I don't have, you know, access to like your performance ratings or whatnot. That I hopefully will get from you, right, directly. But I had access to all this HR data. So I just kind of pulled it together and, you know, profiled you. And so my objective in the intake is to ensure that I have full command of what I'm looking for. And then I need to enfranchise you with my sourcing strategy so that you can clearly see what I'm doing uh, and try again, change the perception that many hiring managers have is that all we do is search on LinkedIn or, you know, we wait for applications, uh, right, to come in. So I'm really all about changing the dynamic and knowing this is a collaborative effort. And then I like to remind, uh, as I learned with my NSA hiring managers, these individuals are going to work for you. I'm merely a facilitator. And so I like to, I like to always start a, an intake conversation, disrupting it a little bit and, and ask them, have you ever made a bad hire? Tell me about it. Oh boy. <laughs> There's never, there hasn't been one person who didn't, who said, no, I never made a bad hire, but it's memorable. Right. And so when I set the tone with let's not make that bad hire together, then again, I think it, 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 um, it tightens the partnership and it helps to level the playing field. And I do, I do like to show them, here's my strategy. I need you to weigh in. I need you to help me prioritize what channels I should be spending time in. And by the way, again, because of the NSA and the CIA, y'all know each other and I don't. And so they're going to look at me and they're going to say, A, she's a woman and B, she's Asian. Is she born in the United States? So I had to completely learn a different way of approaching recruiting these highly cleared um, agents and uh, you know I was in the the hacking side of of these two agencies so that was even more could have been more insidious but they really taught me a lot because a lot of what I was doing just in my role they would do but you know to to help protect the United States that's a completely different end of the spectrum. Absolutely. Just uh, just on that point, a little aside. So every hiring manager admitted they made a bad hire, but did any of them admit it could have been his or her fault rather than TA's? <laughs> it's yeah, you know. I mean, that the honesty, sort of the sometimes it would be the black mirror. You know, I would help to put in front of them and equally owned, right? Um, if if it if or as when TA is um, responsible for that. But once again, hopefully the, the the hiring process will help with the checks and balances to to mitigate bad hires. But ultimately, you know, that does happen. So I don't shy away from being responsible. But I think that's why I I spend a lot of time in pre-work, um, pre-research, you know, if I'm in that capacity of, of a recruiter or sorcerer. 
my job now is to ensure that our recruiters and sourcers and recruiting managers and leaders are well equipped with the support they need to convey their expertise about the market to mm. their to their businesses to their customers. Makes sense, Alison. I know you have a couple more questions. I'm just enlightened. Actually, this whole conversation is so cool. Um, so I, I guess there's a there's a lot that our listening audience could learn from Annie. And not least, I guess, is what are the key mistakes that companies make when setting up a talent intelligence team for the first time? Some of it would, um, in my experience, um, this is not my first rodeo in leading a, a TI um, capability. Uh, what I what I what my approach has always been, and I actually learned it I learned it at another tech company was, I I don't know what it what possessed me, Allison, but I, I immediately wanted to reach to the product teams because mm -hmm. I my thought was hopefully logically is that um, product teams had to also understand the competition had to also understand you know the market as far as if there's a new feature upgrade or brand new product, you know, to launch. And so I, I, I just allowed my curiosity to ask and to, to reach out because that's when you can deploy, you know, your sourcing skills and, and reach out um, blindly or not. Uh, and so I studied under kind of a, a couple cool, really cool product managers. Uh, and they taught me how they approach um, also understanding the competition, who they work with, who are they closely close in proximity, whether it's the software engineers, quality, uh, sales, et cetera. So I, I kind of took the best of what I learned from them. And the one thing that they taught me clearly was you must align to the business strategy. Hmm. You must align. So I approached building a talent intelligence function by envisioning what the research products are first and then work backwards. So wow. clearly defining what are the products, uh, you know, how will it support me? What will it do? How will I benefit from it? What will I learn as a, you know, a TA professional, et cetera. Uh, that tended to, through trial, trial and error, tended to, to go a, a lot further uh, in connecting uh connecting TA, HR, and the business kind of in this sort of trio, sort of your perfect utopic, you know, scenario. But I found it very powerful to, to help. And it's because of the product managers taught me, you always think about how do you monetize research? Yeah. You know, don't make it nebulous, be very clear. Uh, and, you know, look at it as, uh, as a product, to productize the research. And that's so interesting because we hear, particularly on the Facebook group, um, uh, people saying, "Yeah, how do I how do I engage with the business? How do I go out to the business?" And 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 lots of it is we'll start with the problem and ask them questions, but but it almost feels as if that's that's too exploratory because that could go anywhere and that doesn't help the business to engage with it. Whereas if you're saying, you know, this is research product A and this is what it doesn't delivers, you'll make it really easy for them to engage with you. Mm -hmm. Right, so yeah, I think if, you do anything like that? Well, I think for even me, that makes sense. It's because uh, sometimes this stuff can be brand new, can't it? And people aren't 
understand I don't understand necessarily the art of the possible what can be achieved what can you produce what can you give them and making it too open-ended they don't know where to start they don't know what to ask for but if you can say like this is the kind of thing that we can do yeah will this work for you that makes absolute sense to me as a although I'm not a TI expert I was once a, a TA leader so I've got an understanding of what I would have appreciated yeah yeah, I, th- I think that's a really key takeout for for our listeners is that we we typically all say, well, you know, you know, go out and ask them what their problems are, and then kind of take it backwards from there. But but that makes it that makes it the art of the possible, and that makes it a selling, and that makes it an education piece, rather than look, this is something we can do and deliver, and of course it's going to change and it's going to expand for the solution. But but it's much easier. Toby, do you do anything like that? Yeah, yeah, I think it's almost the, the case of you've got to listen to what they need, but then or not listen to what they want, but give them what they need. You know, I think quite often, mm-hmm. particularly if you're focusing on, on TA, uh, we talk to a lot of a lot of TI teams out there that are tied very closely to TA and TA deliverables, and and, and you mentioned around the, the TA metrics earlier. Um, and, and I think if you if you focus on the TA side of things too much, you end up delivering some really good talent acquisition intelligence, but it's not actually necessarily what the business needs. And so mm. I think for, for us, we've been very lucky at Philips to be able to talk to the business a lot and, and talk to the, the, the market leaders, the business leaders, the functional leaders, et cetera, to try and address some of the business issues. Um, but yeah, I think it's I think it's really hard. I think it, it's really hard. And I think it also ties back to um, where that function sits and what the reporting line is and the, the coming back to Annie's point, what metrics are, are placed upon that team. So. Um, I think it can be really tough. That's a question that always comes up, isn't it? I, again, you know, as an observer looking in most of the time on what happens on the the group, on the WhatsApp channel, etc. There's so many conversations about where TI should sit, who it should report into. Um, what are you? What's your view on that, Annie? So I think what uh, at least just constantly listening, and you know, just. Uh, I, I always tout myself as an information hoarder uh, because I'm just uh, greedy for knowledge because I want to keep learning. Uh, at Amazon, one of our leadership pr- 14 leadership principles, which is my favorite, is learn and be curious. And I'm one of those that I'm constantly curious because I just want to keep learning. And when I think of um, your question, Alan, sometimes I've uh, I've come across more often than not uh, a mashup of talent analytics, sort of business intelligence side with talent mm. intelligence. Mm. And so very quickly, instead of just, you know, making those assumptions or judgment calls, I tend to ask more questions. So I'm clearly understanding to Toby's point, where's this person or this group or whoever, you know, are they trying to establish uh, an analytics function because there's a ton of analysis. Uh, hopefully, right? There's there could be uh, a lot of TI teams who all they're doing is collecting, gathering, um, mashing up data, and then spitting it out to the customer because the customer requested it. But what the customer, at least in my experience, really wants is they want the analysis, and then they want the recommendations, right? Because in our, at least in our domain in in Alexa devices, you know, there's so much that a recruiter is responsible for 
uh, so much sourcer. A lot of it is administrative because we have multiple systems that we work with just to transact a candidate that they don't have time, right? And so sort of the subtle expectation is I need to understand where else I could search for software engineers outside of an overly saturated market. Annie, how can you help? What should I do? And I could literally just say, oh, here's a LinkedIn Talent Insights report. Good luck to you. Wish you the best, (laughs) right? But then nothing happens. Nothing happens. Then it kind of dispels what I'm trying to do. It dispels the integrity of talent intelligence. Mm -hmm. So instead of just saying, ship it off, here you go. Good luck to you. Let me know if you have questions. We always, uh, our model is we always follow it up with, here's your site expansion playbook. We're going to walk you through to understand what you need to know. So knowledge transfer. And in that knowledge transfer, we're going to strategize so you have clear, actionable takeaways. And by the way, by all means, please pass this on to your hiring manager. Engage your business, engage your customer, because they're the practitioners. They're going to actually know what they don't know is talent movement, talent flow, right? What the competitors are doing, what are the growth um, trends, et cetera. And so that's where you know there is a clear distinction between talent analytics as a function versus talent intelligence. So I don't know if that helps, but it's something I'm, it doesn't keep me up at night, but I think about a lot. <laughs> it's an awesome response. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, guys, I think I think we could clearly chat to Annie all day long, <laughs> um, but our schedules, well, certainly your schedules probably dictate that we need to stop at some point. Um, I wanted to thank each of you, Alison and Toby, for, for co-hosting this, um, our very first Talent Intelligence Collective podcast. And we couldn't have got through this without you two, without a doubt. The questions would have been far dumber. Um, Annie, huge thanks to you for being our first ever guest. Um, I hope it wasn't too painful. You've set an extremely high bar for the future. I think uh, Toby and Alison will will agree. And uh, and to our audience, well, I hope we have one anyway, um, a, a huge thanks for listening. It's been great. Massive thanks, Annie. Yeah, I did completely Amazing. Really Amazing. Thank you all. This is a privilege. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Before you go, I wanted for the last time to remind you about our generous sponsor, Stratagens. It's that posh chap again, telling you about their fabulous product. Stratagens gives HR leaders the data they need to transform businesses with the speed and ease required in today's world. They've done the hard work of analyzing thousands of external data sources so you can answer questions on skills, diversity, and real estate. Stratagens enables quicker business decisions about workforce and workplace in a way that is refreshingly simple and revolutionary in its logic. If you're ready to make decisions that aren't lengthy, costly, one-dimensional, or based on gut feeling, visit stratagens.com. That's S-T-R-A-T-I-G-E-N-S dot com to register for a Wednesday demo drop-in and find out more.